0: Teen Spook Show, I'm Kyle Caresi. Streaming at a uh, new weekly time and a new weekly day. Oh, yeah, I just cooked myself a good meal. I have coffee by my side. I have a prospective uh, serving of gin uh, once I finish uh, tonight's performance. But uh, the stories are feeling ripe tonight, so I hope you're into it as well. So this is Quarantine Spook Show. This is the show where I tell improvised horror stories. I pull random titles from a jar, and then I improvise the stories from there. And the titles come from the audience, so if you want to submit any titles, uh, you can send them to quarantinespookshow at gmail.com, and then those titles will find their way into the jar. time I'll be putting this decaf coffee to good use and let my desire to have a nightly glass of gin to tell these stories first story is called did you know it's illegal to kill the president Together in a park bench in Washington DC outside of a very affluent restaurant called the biz Where the, uh, where the park was located was behind the restaurant and the bench was close by so Harry and Arnold could hear the trash get taken out and a lot of dishes clattering around and the waitstaff hustling and bustling to uh, serve all the politicians I would go to this restaurant. The restaurant was called The Biz, but it wasn't quite clear what biz they were in. Could it be, was it referring to the restaurant industry? Could it be making a joke about politics, of how it might as well be a business? And the citizens were customers? Or at least the wealthy ones? It was hard to say. There are some rumors around town that the original owner of The Biz trying to make it in showbiz to some capacity. And he started the restaurant The Biz in L.A. But he found it wasn't getting much business, ironically. So after a brief down-and-out period, uh, he restarted The Biz with a new outlook. It started in Washington, D.C. It actually became a hot spot for a lot of uh, politicians in Congress and the Senate, and also the White House as well, to go and have a chat. You know, sometimes are lobbying stuff happening, but a lot of time, it was a lot of the time, it was just some good old-fashioned R and R. Good way for a politician to spend a lunch break. On that bench outside the biz, observing the flowers uh, that were in bloom during spring, during some sp- people watching, uh, the city took its, uh, took a new nature uh, since, the, since it's so deep into the pandemic. Many places closed down, a lot of security walking around, due to the variance of political upheaval. turns to Harry and he says did you know that it's illegal to kill the president of the United States Harry looked at him uh, seemed like it was out of left field and he was just like I didn't know he had a president of the United States and then Arnold was just like oh yeah we have a we have a president and then Harry was just like well who's the president and Arnold was looking a bit concerned he was just like it's uh Joe Biden, you know, uh, Obama's VP, you know, from 2008 to 2016. And then Harry was just like, oh, I thought, yeah, I thought after the, uh, I thought after the last guy that we just, that there wasn't going to be another president That's just, uh, the United States was just over. And then Arnold was just like, no, no, it's it's still going You know, where do you think all these vaccines uh, These rollouts are coming from And Harry was just like Well, I thought it was just, you know uh, This pharmaceutical company is just giving them out You know So I guess like a You know, big corporation or whatever Certainly has more resources uh, Than the government You know and Arnold was just like, yeah, I guess. And then Harry was just like, that's why I'm gonna, yeah, that's why my plan was to grow vaccines in my own backyard, brew them myself. And then Arnold was just like, oh yeah, you're gonna brew some vaccines and give them out. And then Harry was just like, yeah, man, I mean, think about it, the way things are going, you know, we barely have a government as it is now's a be- better time than ever uh, to be self-s- self-sufficient, you know. The way the food market was uh, stuttering and continues to stutter. Yeah, dude, I'm growing my own shit. Uh, but, uh, to answer your question, yeah, I knew that uh, it's illegal to kill the president, you know. If there is a government that has laws, one of them is probably to not kill the president. just like yeah well I don't care man I'm fucking doing it. And then Harry's just like you're doing what? And then Arnold's just like I'm gonna kill the president. I'm totally gonna it's gonna happen, I'm gonna do it. And then Harry was just like uh why? Like even if you're gonna assassinate a dude, you wouldn't you wanna do it like after they've been working for two months? You know, he was voted in and everything, you know. And then Arnold was just like, yeah, but you know, supposedly he's gonna come by this restaurant uh, today, you know? Why do you think we're outside of it? And Harry just looked back and saw that they were outside of the biz restaurant, which he didn't notice before. He knew of its reputation of a bunch of Washington, D.C. Uh, politicians coming in. And then Harry was just like, uh, I don't know, man. He's gonna have like a team with them, Secret Service. Especially now, you know, under these, uh, I guess, precedented times at this point. And then Arnold's just like, nah, I got my, nah, I got a plan. I'm just gonna run in with a pistol and then just hit him and then quit it, you know? And that's gonna be it. And just Harry's just like, yeah, but they're gonna catch you, though. Was just like yeah, well, I know, but I'm doing it for my country, you know. And then Harry's just like, well, how is assassinating a president really helping out your country? And then Arnold was just like, uh, you know, it's just a uh, the way to fight for America is to fight against America. Harry didn't quite know how to talk Arnold down from this uh, deadly prospect. Lot of complications in the way different uh, factions formed in the country. And he didn't quite know what Arnold's political beliefs were. So he didn't know quite how to speak to him. And then Harry asked Arnold like Arnold what do you, what do you even believe in? like seriously? And then Arnold was just like, well, I believe in, uh, things not being shitty, and I think if I kill the president, I think it'll be, things will be less shitty. And then Arnold was just like, I want to spark a revolution, man. And Harris was just like, yeah, well, that's cool and all, but there's a lot of messy aftermath uh, that comes with the revolution, you know. If you're not prepared to handle that, you know, that's how it's, uh, that's how states decline, man, you know? And then Arnold's just like, "Yeah, fuck it, I'm gonna do it. And then he gets up and runs toward the toward the biz. and watch Arnold go to the restaurant. And now Harry wasn't the biggest Joe Biden uh, enthusiast out there. Most people aren't. But he knew himself politically enough that he didn't want to be complicit in such an assassination attempt. To tell, uh, law enforcement or Secret Service or whatever about the plot. So I made the call, and he's just like, listen, Arnold, I'm gonna, if you, if you go through this, I'm gonna tell everyone it was you, so really think about it, you know, and then Arnold just got really excited on the other end, like, dude, guess what I found out? He's just like, what now? He didn't quite trust Arnold's uh, acumen uh, toward discovering facts and new information. Or at least, not even, not even well thought out judgments or opinions. He just really went with the wind of uh, political ideology rhetoric. So Harry groaned, and he's just like, alright, well, what is it, Arnold? Arnold was just like, it's actually not illegal to kill the president. It's totally legal. And then Harry was just like, oh, get the fuck out of here. What do you mean? And Harry was just like, yeah, man, it's not legal at all. You know, apparently there was some sort of a law that kind of skirted through, you know, under the Trump administration that's, uh totally legal to kill the president, you know? I guess he was really fucking bitter about having to leave office, but, uh, yeah, we can... We can fucking go for it. And then Harry said, it's just, you know, just because something's legal, it doesn't make it good, you know? And all of a sudden, uh, Harry heard gunshots. Coming from the biz, he was just like, "Oh Jesus Christ, no!" It was an innate, an, uh, an innate sense within him to never go anywhere near where he hears gunshots, but curiosity got the better of him. Arnold bleeding out on the floor, and they just kept eating. Now, when Harry probed himself philosophically, assassinations were not beneath him. But he didn't think Arnold's plan was really thought out at any capacity, and he didn't think he should do it. Nor were his reasons any thought out at all. So, despite this, Harry cared about his friend. He shouted around, was just like, well, who shot him? Who did it? At first, he thought the President showed up, and a Secret Service person, uh, gunned him down. But the President wasn't around. It's was a bunch of people dressed as politicians. He didn't quite recognize any of them. Suits. Some people wore sweaters. The way people's uh, attire of dress changed was also a sign of the times. And Harry shouted it again as loud as he could. Who shot my friend? kind of thing happens all the time and then Harry's just like what the fuck do you mean this happens all the time like he's bleeding out we would still save him so he picked up Arnold and he tried to carry him outside and started calling 911 on his phone for an ambulance and that same blonde woman said well you know the bottom line is, is uh, this is the new normal get shot all the time. Harry didn't want to believe it, so he dragged Arnold outside the biz on the sidewalk, near the entrance. And about 20 minutes later, the ambu- ambulance arrived. guy here. And Harry's just like, yeah, yeah, it is. And Arnold's starting to wake up a little bit. He's becoming pale from all the blood he lost. And he was just like, Harry, did I do it? Did I do it? And Harry sighed, and he's just like, uh, you sure did, buddy. He sure did. And they put him in the ambulance, and he watched Arnold drive away. And he contemplated for a bit. He thought it was fucked up that, uh, Arnold had a half-baked assassination plot it was fucked up, that the people in the restaurant didn't really care the new shot or who shot him, and just accepted it as a new normal. And frankly, uh, Harry thought that all this was insane. But then he thought about it and he thought, does that make me the insane one? To think that all this is fucked up? see if this story also has anything to do with, uh, Joe Biden or presidents or whatnot. Ah, okay. This next story is called, How Did We Get This Lost?, seemed like a less vigorous hike on paper Carrie told Julie about it she was just like yeah we gotta fucking go up the mountain man should be it's a you know it's a lot of miles but it should be a breezy hike Julie didn't think really much of it and she was just like yeah I can fucking go for a hike as her partner, Julie loved Candy more than everyth- more than anything. But sometimes Candy had some real batshit ideas. I thought Julie wasn't down for a good hike. You know, she always liked to take pictures of uh, the woods and like derelict cities and whatnot. And old buildings that have gone through transformations uh, during the past several generations. So it was true that she had a heart for exploration and discovery. But if Candy was the one that was steering that ship, uh, could've gotten a bit dicey. One time Candy, uh, convinced Julia uh, against her better judgment to go on a cruise. Now drop by a bunch of, uh, cities, uh, Islands in the Caribbean And then Julius was like Yeah that sounds really cool But when they got on the cruise It was just like the most tackiest thing ever The people on there were vapid The performances were hack. She's ever been, despite all the Disneyland and casino casino lights that were around. But Candy knew this about herself that she was someone who uh, got carried away with certain prospects. And she did a fair amount of research before uh, looking up this mountain uh, called Mountain Biden. Coincidentally, I swear. just like, yeah, Mount Biden seems like a good, uh, good, good mid-ground between, like, a vigorous hike and, like, a easy-going hike, or, like, an easy-going walk, rather, you know? Like, it will be a bit of a challenge, but, uh, it'll be fun, it'll be fun by the end of it. And then Julie was just like, okay, okay, I'll, uh, you know what, I'll bring my camera and we'll fucking get into it, and we'll climb this goddamn mountain. And then Candy was just like, we're gonna climb this goddamn, ma- goddamn mountain. They both shouted together, We're gonna climb this goddamn mountain! This mountain was somewhere in Montana. Neither of them really knew the state well, but, uh... Of maps and research on where to park and where to go, and how to find their way around. So then they started their hike. They started part way up the mountain. They didn't do the whole thing, certainly. Their plan was to get to a to a good uh, parking lot tourist view of a uh, view of Montana. And when they got to that point, they would make their way down. And it started off as a good hike. They were catching up relationship-wise. Candy was giving some updates uh, from work, and Julia was also giving updates as well. Even though since the pandemic they've both been uh, at the house more often, but they did consider it important to take time to really uh, tell each other about their souls and whatnot. To really catch up in an earnest romantic sense, and not just in a not as just a method of cohabitation. Pictures all along the way. She would stop and they would stop and start again. Candy would get a bit impatient at times, but she knew it was important to Julie to really immerse in the lens and really capture memories and perceptions and experiences. a bit, uh, more upbeat about it, a bit more springy about it. Some pe- she still had the pepper in her step, but, uh, Julie could tell that she was still being challenged by the hike. So at one point, when Julie's out of breath, she's just like, oh, it's a, it's a long mountain. And Candy was just like, we're almost there, almost there. And then eventually they get to the, uh cliffside parking lot with the view of Montana, partway up the mountain. There's a little rest stop, so they got some water and, you know, went to a little restroom they had there. They took a bunch of pictures. They started to relax a little bit, you know didn't bring a lot of food, but they had some snacks, and they were munching on it and drinking some water. A really good midpoint to a good day. So they spend time uh, at that cliffside view for about 30 to 40 minutes. And then Julie says, oh, you know, I'm getting pretty tired. I think I'm, I think I'm ready to uh, head back down the mountain. Candy was just like oh, and then Julie was like oh, and then Candy was just like well I'm thinking, you know if you're into it that we can climb the full way up the mountain. Julie was started to shake started to shake her head and shrug and she was starting to feel it in her knees and she was just like ah uh, Candy I don't know. already like two-thirds up the mountain as it is you know it's just another third up there right and then we'll just head back downhill which is a much easier thing and then julia's just like handy well, like, we got to walk back down and it's we're not gonna be we're not gonna get back till nightfall f- we don't have like camping gear or anything but Julie could feel herself get exhausted feeling herself uh, out of breath Having to sigh. poof, Very often. Candy was getting a little bit upset. She was like, come on, Julie, just we can we can make it. We can climb this goddamn mountain, right? And then Julie remember what remembered why she loved Candy. She was just like, yeah. I guess we can climb this goddamn mountain if we wanted to he was just like, We're gonna climb this goddamn mountain. So, once again, against Julie's better judgment, she got up and chatted, We're gonna climb this goddamn mountain. And they both, both cheered and hugged and kissed, and it's a very touching, romantic moment. But no one else was on the cliffside view. They kept walking up the mountain. Julie grabbed a walking stick to ease off of her knees a little bit. Candy became less and less uh, springy uh, during the walk. She started to hunch over a little bit from her own version of exhaustion. Cloudy day, so it started to get darker faster than they expected. And then Julius was like, Candy, I think we should uh, I think we should call it and head back down. And Candy was just like no 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 no, we gotta come on, we're like almost we're like halfway of a third there. And then Julius was like, Well you said we had like a third of the way to go. You know, and then we walked two-thirds. And Candy said, Well, we didn't start at the bottom of the mountain. We went part way, and then we got to the two-thirds mark, and then we're making that other third. And then Julius was just like, Candy, you made it sound like a much shorter trip than it was, you know? I could handle, like, the stopping point where did we did last, that we... <sighs> Julie could even... She could, she could barely talk. Stuttering and sputtering. She couldn't adequately describe her descent while trying to convince Candy that they should descend down the mountain. Then Candy turned to her and she said, You really want to go back? And Julie said, Yes, yes, I do. Candy said, Okay. So they turned around and started to walk down the mountain. It was getting darker, so details weren't standing out as much. But despite that that fact, the mountain area started to seem a little bit different. And while they were retracing their steps, they started to walk uphill again. Is this really the way we came? And then Candy was just like, well, there's a lot of like ups and downs on it, and, you know, we're just walking backwards, you know. There weren't a lot of uh, turning points since the cliffside. And then Julie was just like, well, we should have gotten to the cliffside already, you know. She sat down, started to pull out a map. Started to retrace her steps a little bit, trying to backtrack. And then she mutters to herself, This doesn't make any goddamn sense. And then Candy was just like, What, what doesn't make sense? And then Julie was just like, The map, the map is wrong. And then Candy was just like, What do you mean it's wrong? Like I don't know how it's wrong. It's just wrong, you know. The way we went isn't what's being shown on the map. This looks like a this, is, this isn't even the same trail that we were walking on. Like when we started, this is different. This isn't. This isn't. This is, this is wrong. Julie started to panic a little bit. I McKinney's mean, just like, hey, 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 listen. All we're doing is backtracking, right? There weren't any other turns or other trailheads. Uh, on our way up after the cliffside view, right? So we just keep walking, we're bound to run into the cliffside view, right? And then Julius was just like, okay, yeah, I guess so. And then Candy was just like if we get to the if we get to the parking lot, uh, when it's too late and uh, we'll be and try to call like a lift uh to like your cab to get to the cliffside parking lot and then drive us back down to our car, you know? We can handle this. Julie's just like okay I, I trust you. I trust us. We can we can do this. I kept walking. And that's when things started to get a little strange. Julia was used to the sights of the Northwest and knew some bits about Montana. But the mountain they were on didn't quite look like Montana. Something about the trees was different. They're a little bit off. The sky started to get dimmer. And instead of getting cooler it was starting to get hotter. suddenly start to smell like sulfur. Still going uphill, they find a smoking crater. They don't get too close to it, but they get as close as they can to try to figure out what it is. didn't you tell me that this mountain was a volcano? And then she was just like, I didn't know. I didn't know. And then Julie was just like, well, we didn't pass the mouth of a volcano on our way here, now did we? And Candy was just like, no, we didn't. Candy was just like, no, come on, let's keep walking. And then Jaloo's just like, Candy, my knees are about to give up. I have to to rest for a bit. And then Candy was just like, well, you rest here. You're going to inhale a bunch of volcanic ash, and it's going to exhaust you faster, right? So just grab onto my arms. I'll help you walk the rest of the way. Just just, just trust me on this. And then Jaloo's just like... In her head, she was like, "I don't know if I can," but then she was like, "Okay, let's just get out of this together." So they walked past the mouth of the volcano. It's still going uphill. When they were driving up to the mountain, Julie, it didn't. The mountain didn't strike Julie as a steep mountain. It was very large and vigorous, certainly high up, but it wasn't narrow and tall. That was nighttime, clouds were still in the sky, but they can see uh, clouds rest on the area where they were. Julie was having trouble breathing from the high altitude. actually almost able to do- doze off on Candy's shoulder because was so comforting. If she wasn't walking, she would have fallen asleep right there. And at this point, they both know that something's off. So it wasn't quite as jarring when they saw skeletons along the trail as they went upward. They've seen the past two years, it didn't even register. Eventually, Candy stops and looks back at the high view that they're at. It's gorgeous. They can see Montana and beyond. down also, and she's like, it's th- is that? And the Candy says, yeah, that's the, that's Mount Bain. That's the mountain that we went to. They were in the cl- cloudy area of the sky. And they, they could see just enough that they saw the mountain that they originally climbed. And then Julie was just like, "So how do we how do we get up here?" And then Candy was just like, "I don't know, but let's keep going." Julie didn't quite know what was going on, but she was like, "Okay, let's go." So they keep walking. And Candy starts to give out a little bit, and then Julie says, "I can I can walk on my own for a bit." Candy's like are you sure and she's like yes yes i can eventually they walk in a terrain that's all clouds there's still some soil beneath them but they can't really discern any kind of a mountain or forest environment around them nothing but stars. Eventually, Julie says, we're in the sky, aren't we? Candy says, yeah, let's keep walking. We've both been walking for so long that the idea of walking is no longer a deterrent. They rest every once in a while, but they still continue on the walk very consistently. They're a bit delirious, and they don't have any grip on their environment, but they look back again, and they can see Earth and the moon itself. Even the sun, further away. time by the time they hit the sky, and then Julie was just like, I never knew mountains could be this tall, and then Candy was just like, well, let's keep going, Julie takes out her camera and starts to take pictures. No idea why she didn't do it before. Of the stars, of some rogue asteroids and distant comets. or from what they can see from Earth. But never just being purely in it. They both look up amazed. Candy's breathing heavy. A very heavy, deep, exhausted breath. her shoulder and she's just like candy we made it to the top of the mountain the candy said we made it to the top of the goddamn mountain jilla said we climbed the goddamn mountain and then they both started to shout it together we climbed the goddamn mountain Julie turns the candy it's just like alright when do you think we should start getting down like a good love story uh, mixed in with the horror tales. Okay. This next story is called Cheek to Cheek. just beneath his skull. And as he reckoned with his aging body, you know, it would flare up from time to time and he'd accept it. He would do stretches when he could, you know, to try to help out in the long term a bit. But it just got to a breaking point where you had to see a doctor. No real way about it. I didn't always trust doctors, you know. Even though most of them did have a expertise of, no- of medical knowledge. They still had fallible human judgment. And if they were taught to think a certain way, they may not be able to think outside the box enough to... Help out certain clients and patients. So, Rodney was in a lot of pain, and he couldn't function in life in any way because the pain in his neck was so severe and inconvenient. So, he scheduled a port appointment at a clinic and just kind of waited. Since this was a more of a boilerplate kind of uh, procedure, that will be fine. So eventually, you saw the doctor, uh, Doctor Hamilton. And he says, "Okay, so you're Rodney. Uh, so you got a thing with your neck happening?" Ronnie was just like, yeah, I just like, I can't, I can't, I can barely move my neck. Uh, it hurts to hold it up, you know. I'm like uh, horizontal most of the day because this uh, pain in my neck is so severe. I need one of those neck pillows like 90% of the day. And then the doctor was just like, okay, well, uh, let me do some tests real quick. So then what he started to do was just like, he kept poking it. He's like, does it hurt when I do that? And then Ronnie was just like, yes. Poked it and flicked it a little harder. How about here? And then Ronnie was just like, yes, it hurts, it's very painful It's one specific muscle and it's a real pain in the neck, literally Dr. Hamilton was just like, okay, I just had to make sure that you were actually in pain And then, then real quick he grabbed uh, Ronnie by the back of the neck and squeezed real hard And then Ronnie was just like, how? And then Dr. Hamilton was just like, okay, I just wanted to make sure that it was real We got a, So what have you tried so far? And then Rodney was just like, I don't know, man, uh, I've done some just pain relief stuff, I've done stretching, uh, that hasn't really worked out. Maybe you can take a closer look at it if it's some sort of more severe body thing that I have to see a specialist for. And then Dr. Hamilton was just like, well, I can, I can take an x-ray for you if you'd like. And then... Rodney was just like, sure, that sounds, that sounds great. I'll pay it out of pocket. Just please, just do something. So Dr. Hamilton uh, did an x-ray of Rodney. And they, he was able to process it pretty quick. out a sheet for the x-ray. And then he brought, uh, brought the x-ray in, he was just like, okay, so uh, Rodney then uh, Dr. Hamilton looks at the x-ray and starts to space out a little bit, and he said, I uh, have to make a phone call. And then Rodney was just like, oh, I guess it's a little weird. And he could, he could overhear some of Dr. Hamilton's phone call. And he was just saying, yeah, yeah, he's still here. Yeah, okay, I'll do you really want me to tell him and They talk for a little bit longer and then Dr. Hamilton hangs up the phone. And then Dr. Hamilton was just like, Alright, can you get Johnny in here? Ronnie was just like, well, what's, what's going on? And then Dr. Hamilton said, alright, um, how determined are you to fix this little kink in your neck? And then Ronnie was just like, I just want the pain to stop, you know? I don't mind some aches and sores from, uh, from time to time, but this is it's too much. I really want to remedy this thing uh, as efficiently and safely as quickly as possible. Dr. Hamilton was like, okay, well this uh, kink in your neck, it's a very it's very rare it's not just a sore pulled muscle or anything like that it's uh I guess the way to describe it is kind of like a cyst in the inside of your neck truly we don't really know that much about it but we do know that it is deadly and it will kill you if you don't treat it quickly and swiftly Rodney was just like, oh, uh, what's, a, what's the term for it? And Dr. Hamilton was just like, fiber uh cytosis. And then Rodney was just like, I don't think I'll remember how to pronounce that. And Dr. Hamilton was just like, it's okay, no one does. We'll just call it a kink in your neck, alright? Suddenly there's a knock on the door and uh, Dr. Hamilton's just like, all right, come in. And it's uh, Johnny, apparently someone that works on staff. And then the doctor, uh, he looks at Rodney dead in the eye and he's just like, do you like ass, Rodney? And then Rodney was just like, you know what, I, I like ass as much as uh, anyone, doc pretty perturbed by the question, you know, thought it was very inappropriate for a doctor to ask that. And the doctor said, that's right, well, the only way to remedy this uh, kink in your neck is for someone to set their ass cheeks on the back of your neck for extended periods of the day, uh, at least 15 hours. doing that every day until the, uh, the kink in your neck goes away. If you don't do that for really a lot of time, uh, it will kill you. And then Rodney was just like, I don't know, I don't know, man, it's a... I, that's a, that's a, that's a lot, like, that's pretty intrusive in my own personal life, uh, and I don't really understand the medical, expertise of how that'll work. And the doctor said, well, Ronnie, like, the... your life might be at stake. Uh, Please just try it. But then Johnny started to undress, and then the doc said, he's very, you know, he's very clean, and then Ronnie was just like, "I I don't know this person, I don't know... And then suddenly, uh, Johnny set it at his ass down on the back of Rodney's neck. And then the doctor said, "Well, how does that feel?" And then Rodney was just like, "Well, that's, you know, actually it feels a little bit better. I can move my neck a little bit now." And then the doctor said, "Do you think you can do this for extended periods of time?" And Rodney was just like, "I'll, I'll try." So Rodney was given a prescription of uh, about 15 hours a day uh, for someone to uh, display themselves cheek-to-cheek uh, cheek, uh, on the back of Rodney's neck. Different people would come in and do it. Uh, Johnny and Sydney and Sasha were regulars. And Rodney didn't leave the house during those t- a lot of times. He would either just watch TV or read or something, some sort of dormant activity, and some of the time he would do it while he would sleep. And it went on like that for about three weeks. And eventually the kink in his neck uh, eventually went down. Was just like, oh, so the, how's that kink in your neck? And Ronnie was just like, you know, it feels really great actually. I'm generally surprised how much I feel good. You know, I can twist my neck all around now. Out of the office, and he was just like, "Hey, um, you know, besides uh, being at a uh, a medical thing, I actually uh enjoyed those uh, professionals, uh, you know." And then Dr. Hamilton just uh, pulled out a card with a number. He's just like, "Here, call this number if uh if you ever need a if you ever need a certain kink fulfilled." And then Rodney was just like, "Ah, uh, thanks, Doc." He walked out and he hasn't had a sword neck since. Alright, I'm gonna read one more story. This one is called And Then Disney Replaced Daft Punk with. Schedule for feature length films uh, stuttered with the pandemic. The one thing they did have in the docket was a new Tron movie. The first Tron movie was beloved by some people, the second Tron movie, not so much. But with this, with this uh, third Tron movie, they really wanted to knock it out of the park. Daft Punk to do the soundtrack. However, Daft Punk uh, announced their breakup. It caused a bit of sadness for Daft Punk fans. But Daft Punk has been around for 30 years, and they've lived and went away, and had a full tenure as far as uh, Electronica duos go. This left Disney with a new inquiry. Who are they gonna do? Uh, who are they gonna recruit for the soundtrack uh, of the new Tron movie? Now, Disney's have been, uh, Disney has been under a lot of scrutiny. Uh, Governing a monolithic uh, pop culture uh, throughout the world. Not leaving a lot of room for artists that are not aligned with the brand of Disney to really break through in terms of show business or anything like that. Uh, They hosted uh, committees and playtesting They'd bring random samples to watch certain uh, Tron movies and listen to certain music To try to figure out the best combination of What people would want in a Tron movie They thought they could bring uh, New electronica stuff To the front Maybe they could try something new They've experimented with trying to bring back uh, certain DJs back from the dead, but they've had no success so far, so they couldn't do that. So when they did these screenings of uh, both music and uh, videos and movies uh, for these random Disney fans. All the results were very inconsistent. The truth was that die-hard Disney fans didn't quite know what they wanted, just that it was more Disney and uh, a lot of it. And there's one executive uh, who was in charge of finding a new soundtrack and hosting these uh, committees and meetings. struggling to find someone who could be the right fit for a Tron movie. Him and his assistant were going through records and data and he was just like there's just how how do we play to an audience you know? All these people don't know what they want and they can everything they want is really random and it's just they just kind of go with whatever Disney pumps out you know? know this definitive way to optimize uh, entertainment with these with this data and the assistant was just like yeah you might as well have like a bunch of screaming jackals for the soundtrack and people would listen to it then the executive look at, looked at the assistant and gave a big smile then the assistant smiled and then they hugged because that's when they knew they decided to recruit a bunch of Screaming Jackals uh, for the next Tron movie. So, about two years later, the movie was released with the Screaming Jackals in the soundtrack. Get it at first, you know? They would just watch a movie with these uh new new graphics about more Tron shit, and then they were just like, yeah, well, it's just the movie was okay, but just like all these fucking screaming jackals in the soundtrack, it didn't really make any sense, didn't fit the vibe of the movie at all. You know, I didn't really get it. It was, uh, people kept seeing it. The die-hard fans of the Neutron movies was like, no, you gotta see it a second or third time to really, like, get it, you know? To get, like, the significance of the jackals and the visuals and the cinematography. And that's how the Neutron movie became a slow hit. Disney was getting ac- accolades for Entering this new avant-garde structure and popularizing it and funneling, through, funneling it through Disney's way of streamlining things. Roger Ebert's website said it was uh, the most cinematic masterpiece since Fantasia. He was just like, alright, we gotta do more weird shit. They kept releasing new animated movies and uh, rehashing some old properties. general blanket of just like good feelings and adventure and proficiency in craft but it said they doubled down on the avant-garde tactics some soundtracks had the just pots some hands in it some movies were animated with uh, sequences with a uh, drawn with a broken crayon David Lynch watched it and he was just like, yeah, I had no idea what was going on. And say what you want about Disney, but they knew how to craft a product. But now at this point, uh, no one could really make heads heads or tails about all the random shit that they were putting out. People were calling it brilliant because it was this. channel a flow of uh commentary of those videos were coming in how people wanted nostalgia you know it's getting to the point where people just wanted the old-fashioned uh snow white experience or lion king experience not quite in the all the surreal avant-garde stuff or rather the abstract nonsensical stuff So Disney, eventually, uh, as a company that's governed by their audience, they—or supposedly, at least by their audience's taste—they received uh, the commentary, and then they started to do more rehashings of uh, classic Disney. You know, flowing animation and music and whatnot, and all the merch that could come with it. 10 15 years went by of all these rehashings, and people who grew up with the avant garde stuff were just like, Hey, what about the avant garde stuff? You know, that was really cool. That was a that was like my favorite golden age of Disney, you know. So then Disney started to release uh, reboots and rehashes of their uh, avant garde feature experiments. sequence an orchestra of jackals and all the nonsense you could ever need in a movie and then people are starting to complain that just like oh they're just tapping into nostalgia once again you know not really doing anything new inventive anymore you know Avant-garde tactics were just, though It was something that started off new and strange and intriguing, supposedly. It just was something else that entered the Disney vortex. It just became a commercialized property to pump out and to make money. Staffers and creatives uh, joining Disney knew about this uh, commentary and this dissent. I would often think about this uh, the avant-garde breakthroughs that supposedly that uh, Disney made. And Disney is such a monolith that uh, it seems impossible to do anything new within those confines. Within the up-and-coming Disney people were just like, you know, if something can happen once, it can happen again. House Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Kurezi. That episode had a bit of a grab bag of themes and subjects: uh, political abstractions, uh, good old-fashioned love conquering a mountain. with uh, medical effects and some tasteful scorn towards Disney. This has been Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Caresi.